Welcome to Cinebabble episode 42, a very special animation episode. I am your host, Ken, and as always is my compatriot in arms, Clint. Clint, tell the world hello and well at ya. Hi, everyone out there in the world. This is Clint, and I'm in a line form drawing today. Oh, nice. In, in inspiration from okay. our uh, our subject matter. I like it. You're a little bit sketchy, but in a yeah. good way. Yeah, I'm a little way. jittery, like yeah. he gets hand-drawn. Yeah, well, and it really gives it personality yeah. and, and takes it you know, beyond the just too polished for its own good. Yeah, artist touch. Yeah, artist touch. I like yeah. that. I like that. We have some uh, exciting animated films to talk about. I don't think any of them are typical. Uh, but first, uh, we're going to get to some What You Watching. But before we do that, Clint, I'm feeling really old. Yeah? I'm feeling about 94. I get hmm. these spinal yeah. shots. You look about they, 80. Thank you. Yeah. They jam needles into my spine uh-huh. and they inject some stuff and it keeps me feeling young. It's it's a borderline Blade Runner. The blood of the infant? Of an infant? <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, but this last one. So once upon a time, I looked up when I shouldn't have looked up and saw the screen where the needle was going through and they're talking about threading nerves to get to the nerve they have to inject at and all this stuff. Uh-huh. And I passed out. Ever since, Yeah. Um, I do the exact same thing. I'll start to feel like I'm going to pass out. Well, this time, brilliant me thought, I know what I'll do. Mm -hmm. I will take my phone, I will take headphones, and I will listen to something, right? Yeah. And so I decided, you know what? I I never listen to a full episode of our podcast. As you should not. As I should not. You know, I'll go through and get timestamps, but, you know, I just hate listening back to us. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I decided I'm going to listen to an episode. This was the wrong decision. (laughs) Because because then as they're poking around my back, I kept flinching, wondering what's going to happen next. Uh Uh-huh. Definitely passed out on this. This one, yeah, and uh, did not do so well. And now I think I have this weird pain association <laughs> with podcasting. <laughs> so if I pass out today, this is long story short. If I drop over, I know you're feeling sketchy, but you're gonna have to attend to me medically. Okay. Well, I have um, a long history of passing out from needles and stuff, so I might be able to help. Right. Well, next time you can come and hold my hand, and we'll just both pass out. <laughs> I would be the worst person to take. I wouldn't even make it in the room. Okay. Well, yeah. you know, it's it's worth a try. Okay. Clint, what you've been watching? Um, well, I really, I wanted to keep on theme with what we were doing. So I watched a bunch of animation stuff. Oh, you're such a professional. Uh, well, man, uh, Criterion made it really easy. They have an awesome um, collection on there currently of like outsider. Really? Uh, illust- um, of... Um, animation that like they've compiled in a really good collection of stuff hmm. and like th- like some anime and like just really cool um, okay. I, I really hope they continue to do this in the future maybe make a second collection mm-hmm. um, so the first thing I watched was a movie that I'd watched probably like five years ago and uh, I was happy to see it was actually on this collection but it's called a it's such a beautiful day that's okay Dr- yep. uh, directed and written and completely pretty much done by Don Hertzfeld. Mm-hmm. Um, who makes these really awesome, just like independent um, animations where it's stick figures. Yeah, but it's really unique. Oh, yeah. And it's at such a higher level. Oh, right. I mean, they have so much character. Yeah, you would hear stick figures and you'd think, oh, it's kind of like uh, he just did it on a whim or whatever. But no, it's like very artfully done. He has these amazing kaleidoscopic um, frames around that are like like playing into what he's talking about. All done in camera, like as he's animating. Um, it's really cool. Um, the simplicity almost adds to it. Oh, yeah. Um, and but, it's it's very disarming, and it puts you in a certain mode. And, and then when it comes around and does something poignant, 
it it's almost a surprise. It it really the the contrast between the two really throws you off. Yeah, for sure, because it's talking about really real things yeah. and big things in a very comical way. It's yeah. really funny, but then it gets really deep and sincere yeah. and like he has he's always using like classical music to underscore it and adds this whole whole new layer to it. Yeah. So, uh it's such a beautiful day is actually compiled of three of his shorts that then he compiled into a, a feature length. Mm -hmm. And it just follows Bill and his mental health. And he's suffering from some kind of brain abnorm ab abnormality where he's, and he's basically in his last days. Yeah. And it's just him like talking about his dreams and like the history of his family and mental health and and coming to terms with the fact that that this is not something that's going to go away. Right, right. Because um, there's moments where it seems like it is, but then mm -hmm. like it, it reappears and mm -hmm. and it's just him dealing with these last days and talking about his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend and, you know, just life. It's very just a slice of life of this ordinary man, mm -hmm. um, but just done so well. It's um, like, it's one of those movies where it really leaves me heavy yeah. and you don't expect it from this little animated movie with a stick figure but oh man i recommend it it's i think it's on like from that i don't know if it's 2000 oh 2012 yeah i was gonna say and it was on like best movie of the year mm -hmm. it was best like it's like best animation of the decade mm -hmm. all these lists it's i had watched it back in 14 or 15 yeah, and then i just watched it again i don't know maybe six months ago mm -hmm. um and it just it hit me probably even harder the second time. It just, it's so good. Yeah. 100% uh, uh, agree with you. Highly recommend it. Okay. Um, the next thing was, this is uh, another one from that collection on Criterion, um, and it's called Faust, and it's directed mm. by uh, Jan Svankmeyer, um, who also did that movie Alice, mm -hmm. um, who, like, it's the, you know, it's the Alice tale, and this is kind of the story, the Faust story, um, but... It, it's a man who makes a deal with the devil, um, but this more is is it kind of it's like a, the marionette version. I think it's like the um, uh, Polish version, mm -hmm. and uh, he makes a deal with the devil. But it's done all through marionettes, these human sized marionettes. Yeah. And um, I've watched the trailer and refused to watch this movie. I think it you would be okay. Creeps me out so much. I think you'd be okay with it. There, You've said that before. It's really, it's really funny, um, yeah. and it's done in like there's claymation, mm -hmm. there's it's live action, it's um, and um, different forms of animation, and then these giant marionettes, and uh, I, it's so good. It, it, he um, just has a way of making a very dreamlike world out of all these combination of things, and. Um, it's it's really good. I don't have a lot okay. to say about it. I don't. I don't. It's it's a very simple story, but it's really good. I just if they were smaller marionettes, see small marionettes. I feel like I could fight off if they came to life <laughs> and tried to strangle me with their little marionette strings. But life size marionettes and their life size marionette strings. I I just this is nightmare fuel, and I I don't know that I'd be able to. Well, the the fun thing it. about it is it it's all contained within this theater. So it's not like they're roaming around too much. I mean, there's instances of but it. in my dreams, Clint, <laughs> in my dreams, they would be in my house and roaming around. It just, yeah, uh, hmm. I just, I can't, I can't. I, I can't. think there might be enough humor in it that you get you through it. I don't think you know my brain well enough. <laughs> I do know your brain okay. on this subject. I pass out from needles. Right? I do too. Okay, well, yeah. marionette strings are right up there too. <laughs> 
would you which would you rather have? Uh, a marionette man. with needles giving oh, stop, you shots. Stop, stop. I'm gonna <laughs> Oh, there we go. <laughs> Just pass out right on the floor. Um, so yeah, that's about all I had. With their shaky little hands? Yeah. Uh, that wouldn't be good. I mean, at the hands of a skilled marionette artist, the no. the puppeteer, no. I think you'd be okay. No. My doctors are great, but <laughs> if I saw one shake in their hands, I, it would be over. Did you watch anything else? I, I mean, I've been watching a lot of Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Did you start uh, Discovery Season 4 yet? Yeah, I watched those last night. I have not. So okay. I'm getting to it, but yeah. I'm, I'm very excited about that. Well, I have been watching uh, three three main things I want to talk about. Uh, the first one, ever since I was disappointed with Lamb a couple of mm-hmm. weeks ago, I have been on this. Give me something, uh, you know, Northern Europe folktale horror. Yeah. I need. I need. And I found this movie. It's new. It's called The Feast. And it, it it's backed by a lot of really good reviews, which, it, you know, still give me caution. Um, but but the basics of this plot is there is this dinner party happening. Mm-hmm. And this very uh, wealthy couple is hosting kind of their money manager and another couple uh, from town. And the money manager is essentially somebody who's just made them a lot of money and is scooping up land and they're doing all kinds of excavating and and looking for different resources and things like that. And they're trying to talk this other couple. They're basically doing a sales pitch mm-hmm. to try to get this other couple to sell some of their land as well. And in the middle of all of this, they have this young girl come in who's essentially just helping to cook dinner for them that evening. And she's very strange and things almost from the get-go just get increasingly bizarre. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, they're they're excavating the earth. And this is one of those perfect kind of folk horror. Mm-hmm. They've, you know, they've released something, uh, but very, very little exposition, very little explanation. Yeah. It's definitely one of those movies you have to interpret and figure out as you go. Uh, but but has some really unnerving imagery. Uh, it's the right kind of of gore and body horror and things like that where mm-hmm. It implies much more than it shows, and it just it it uh, it had me hooked the whole time. By the end of it, I don't know if it's a great movie, but it was a great experience because I was so engaged the whole time. Hmm. Okay. But it's on it's on Amazon. It's only I think six bucks to rent. Yeah, and called the feast. Uh, definitely recommend that. Then uh, I watched uh, Hawkeye, the first two episodes on Disney oh, okay. Plus. Did you? No. Really fun. Okay. It it has such a distinct early Lethal Weapon Shane Black kind of. It looked uh, like it had a Die Hard feel to it, it. It really, really does. It's really well done. Yeah, really slick, and it does. I think for kind of a, a ground level Marvel hero, it does exactly what it should. It um, it plays with the past from the movies, mm-hmm. but in interesting ways. Uh, even this new young character, this young Archer, Kate, Kate Bishop. The reason that she became an archer, the reason she's kind of obsessed with Hawkeye, even that, very subtle things, but just really, really well done. Hmm. And it created this, as simple as it is, you would think that at some point in the Marvel movies, they would have done something this simple to introduce a character and explain their entire backstory. 
and it's great. And it also plays with the idea of, okay, you've built this MCU. Here are these heroes in this world. What do ground-level regular people think of that? How do they react to it? How does New York react to now the fact that there are heroes in the world? Uh And that's, I think, one of the things I really appreciate about the Disney Plus series that I'm not sure they're able to do as much in the movies is they can just explore those avenues. Yeah. With WandaVision, you know, you got to see kind of post-snap or what happened when people first came back. And and this one plays with interesting things too. Just the idea of, of how do regular people live in a world where around the corner there might be some super being. Uh-huh. Uh, and I just, I, I don't know. It, it makes for a cool little comic side story. It's only two episodes so far. Well, Hawkeye, um, he's not really... I mean, he can shoot no, he a has bow. no superpowers yeah, he can at shoot all. Shoot a bow, but he's he's a really good archer. And in this, he even uh, there's a great beat where he has hearing aids, which is uh, a plot point that they put in the comic. Uh-huh. And at one point, she asks him, you know, well, what happened? What's your injury point? And he does this quick, I don't know, and it flashes through eight different things that would have easily deafened a normal <laughs> human from the movies. Uh-huh. And he's just like, who can tell? <laughs> it just it skipped right through it. But it's that kind of mm-hmm. uh, we're gonna ask the obvious questions, but you know, there's no answer. We just have more fun to have. Yeah. Uh, And I think you'll appreciate it. There's this great low level gang called the tracksuit mafia Mm -hmm. in the, uh, in the comics, they're called the, the tracksuit Draculas. They say bro a lot. Mm. Hey bro, (laughs) how are you doing bro? Uh, But it's, it's just, it's, it's good fun. Yeah. Um, I would probably recommend uh, maybe just waiting till all six are up and then binge them. Um, I think the only downside, I like that they released two episodes, but the second episode is slower than the first. Okay. So not in a bad way, just it leaves you kind of, you know, okay. okay. Yeah. See what happens in episode three. It is not a Loki. Yeah. You know, don't go in expecting your... <laughs> I think Loki's ruined me for yeah. like yeah, having interest in any of it. Yeah. <laughs> like I just yeah. like, I liked Loki a lot and it's just like... It's not going to be as good as Loki, so I'm not going to well, watch it. And, and I'm just convinced you're into the, the comic book world is is Loki, Guardians of the Galaxy, and yeah, Ragnarok, yeah. and and the, the, the weird stuff. I want the stuff. weird space sci-fi yeah. aspect. And that's going back to Eternals. I don't know that Eternals had a lot of weird stuff, but I don't think it did enough weird yeah. that it would have delighted you. Yeah. I think you would like it more than, than some other things, but I don't think it would have delighted you. Mm. The last thing I watched kind of heads towards animation. Before the the Cowboy Bebop uh, live action series hit Netflix, I went back through the series. I've been a, a fan of the series since I think I found it after Trigun. Loved Trigun. Mm-hmm. And then that's how I got to Cowboy Bebop eventually and loved Cowboy Bebop. Uh, and Would so you say Cowby, Cowboy Bebop again? I just like Cowboy you, Bebop? You, you, I don't know. It's something Cowboy nice. Cowboy Bebop? Uh, yeah. Is it because I say it so quickly? I don't know. There's something nice about Cowboy it. Cowboy Bebop. It's got a nice flow to it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really enjoy Cowboy Bebop. So I was, I was excited about the Netflix series. Now, before I watched the Netflix series, reviews were already dropping mm-hmm. and Twitter was going nuts and all these things. I don't even tweet and, and just, you know, but news articles now. Just tell you what people are tweeting. Yeah, that's all that news is really That's now. all news is. Yeah. This person or people, uh, you know, and my my comic book sites are full of, of news articles like, you know, fans furious over. No, they're not. There's like nine guys yeah, that yeah. are having a meltdown because the live action Cowboy Bebop is not what they wanted. Mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I buzzed through, uh, I can't remember if it's 10 or 12 episodes. Uh, it's it's not amazing, mm-hmm. but it's so much fun. And I appreciated that it was so 
different. It, it's almost like a remix mm. of the animated series. It takes the things that that uh, the animated series does. It remixes them. Uh, the the characters and the casting are great. It, it definitely has a more um, upbeat comical edge, mm-hmm. actually, than the the animation. I think the the animated series was very jazz bar. Okay. And this is much more, let's just have fun with these elements. And it's live action. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be silly in some ways. Let's lean into that mm-hmm. and just go over the top. And I, it was the right kind of over the top for me. Yeah. The performances are the right kind of over the top. And probably the biggest thing, they, they expand uh, the villain, which you only see for a few minutes in uh, the animated series. This, they give him a whole plot line. Uh, not not the best casting for him, but I, I was in. It was good. Okay. And by the end, I appreciated and, and understood where they were going. But mm-hmm. I'll, I'll definitely be back for the next season if they do one. Um, I I say it's a lot of fun. And if you don't like it, just, you know, shut up about it. Uh, it's, it's one of those, if they had done a beat-for-beat beat adaptation of the animated series, I feel like people would complain just as much. Well, what's the point of remaking it? It's exactly yeah. the same. And they they really went in a different direction. Maybe you think somebody, too far, but yeah, somebody who like me who has not seen anything from it. I think I saw the movie, mm-hmm. and it always felt weird because it was out of context and never knew anything <laughs> about it. Like yeah. a person who's coming in fresh, do you think they would like it? I think if if the style hooks you, the yeah. first fifteen minutes of this will tell you what the style of this is and what uh-huh. the style of the action is and and how the performances are. If you like the first 15 minutes, you'll like the whole first okay. season. Uh, it it hits the ground running and it's episodic enough that it it you know, it even introduces a main character and then she disappears for two episodes mm-hmm. before she comes back because she hasn't quite joined the team yet or whatever. You can tell they're really taking their time with it. Uh-huh. And they jump ahead and pull some things from the end of the anime. They stick to the beginning. Uh, but but more than anything, they're establishing a style. Okay. And so if that style works for you, mm-hmm. yeah, you'll enjoy the whole season. If you watch the first episode and you're like, meh, I, I don't know if it's worth your time. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that too, when something's up and, and so bingeable, I think it's more likely somebody will watch the whole thing even if they don't enjoy it. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's where some of the hate comes from. Probably these people did not like the first episode and but continued to watch it in the hopes that it would get better and they just got angrier and angrier and angrier. Right, yeah. And I it just it sets you up uh for a a more extreme reaction. Mm-hmm. Then if you just sort of, eh, yeah, it's it's not really working for me. Right. I mean, like, I guess the the, the original way of releasing things one at a time, you could get three in or something. You're like, oh, yeah. I'm just not going to waste any more time yeah, on this it. But my you thing. have the opportunity to put all that time yeah. into it and might as well do it. But then you get mad. On the downside, The Leftovers is a perfect example because yeah. I watched The Leftovers and the first couple of episodes just weren't doing it for me. I went away for quite some time and only came back because people were raving about it. Mm -hmm. And then I felt like I should have stuck with it. Yeah. You know, so it's, there's, there's no best way to watch a show. No. Um, Especially a show that's willing to take it slow and, and unfold as it goes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also heard people kind of criticizing the special effects in Cowboy Bebop. I thought it was great. Hmm. it it's, looks pretty like comic booky, yes, like but but intentionally yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. It has enough weight and reality to it that it it works in the world. Mm-hmm. It's just photo real enough that you believe it. 
but it's cartoony enough that it retains that silly animation quality. Silly is the wrong word, but mm-hmm. it just – it retains that cartoonishness that that keeps you feeling – this is not a world where physics actually matter. Mm-hmm. We're having fun here. So I don't care if a guy kick flipping a coin in a casino at somebody's forehead would actually knock them backwards. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, it's cartoony. And right. we're just going to go with it. Yeah. And I appreciated that sort of thing. That's so cool. I, I recommend it, but I also understand, you know, if somebody's really in love with the series, yeah. them just not liking it at all. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of effects, can I go on a side tangent oh, sure. for one second? Let's do it. Rants so, with Clint. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> not much, so much a rant, but just like, uh, just uh, kind of amazement at, um, I just finished the last episode of Foundation. Oh. And. Um, I did as well. And I, I don't know if, I don't know if there's an extra feature on there or somewhere else I was watching about the effects of the show. And they, um, and I was like, how are they getting such good quality effects for a uh, television show mm-hmm. um i mean it looks great the show looks amazing and they they've been doing a really cool thing on that show kind of i, I was just as equally almost in like in awe of kind of like on uh, mandalorian the effects mm-hmm. on that with the um, 360 yeah, that, chamber that new technology mm-hmm. is so cool did they and, use that on foundation no no but oh, there's okay. equally kind of a cool thing that they're doing on that show is and they're using a lot of model work for the ships and stuff. Really? But they're doing 3D printed. So they build it in the computer space and then they 3D print them out. Oh, and then they cool. live, like, you know, do like old, With compositing and everything the old else. Star Wars effects. And that's why all the ships look so cool. And oh. I had never put like that thought together of like, no. oh, that's such a great way to use 3D uh, imaging and, really and 3D printing. Like you could do so much with that and yeah. maybe make the model making so much quicker. And that explains so much about the ships in that show. I, know, I really thought the CG was just at a whole other level because it, it has that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that textile realness to yep. it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's so hyper detailed. Yeah. That makes sense. So that's like, it's so cool that using that kind of technology in that way. Cool. And, uh, and I hope more people pick up on that and do that because it, it, it looks great. Yeah. There's, there's always, even if you go back and watch Aliens, which has amazing model work, there's yeah. little things like antenna or different things where you can tell it just, like, ah, there's where it's a model or, or different things like that. And that's being real nitpicky, but it's, I love it, but it's that old, you can feel when you're looking at a model. And I never got that from this. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm that, sure that there could be some cleaning oh, sure. up at the end, but like you have that great reference from yeah. the beginning. And yeah. uh, so that, I I just thought I'd share that with that's you because cool. I thought that was such a great idea. Just briefly, what was what was your reaction to kind of the end of the the series? How did you feel it wrapped up? Not the end of the series, the end of the season for Foundation. I loved it. Yeah, I I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, I I think they're playing with the spans of time so well in like making you feel like it doesn't feel rushed. They they have such great um, devices to uh, make the passage of time um, like feel very long, but also like carry the character through those time periods. Um, I, I'm so, I love it. Well, and it's genius with the the Emperor being clones. Yeah. You can keep Lee Pace going. Uh, with the cryogenic the, freezing, like The pods. cryogenic freezing, yeah. you're, you're taking other characters through. You've got, uh, what's his name? The scientist who is an AI now. Yeah. You've got uh, the, the robot or the android assistant to the Emperor. You have all these great characters. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. that will continue through, but they're entirely different. Yeah, this is I I cannot believe I got as excited as I did uh, with a a one hundred plus time year jump at Me the very too. end of a season. Me too. I'm just like I'm in for it because now they literally, especially with some of the the seeds they planted with mm-hmm. what happens with Empire. Yep, and. Oh my goodness! They created a new alliance, and they put the empire in a completely different direction. Then they're like, "Oh yeah, 150 years later." Yeah, and then credits. Yeah, and they did a really like (laughs) some other show. It might not work as well where they did the kind of like voiceover of like I don't know how many months it was, um, like explaining what happened during this this chunk of time, and it it felt right. It felt really good, and um, I. And I didn't feel taken out of it in any yeah. way. Yeah, no, not at all. All right, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, we can talk about it more at length sometime, but yeah. I was just, I was curious because I think the last episode we talked about was the one with the walk. Mm-hmm. And that's still, I think, the best episode of the the season uh, for me. It was just such a uh, self-contained episode that had such a great story and kind of a singular I can't remember which Focus. one it was, but it might have been the next one or the one after that for me. Like the, okay. I can't remember what the um, contents of that episode were, but there was one that really hit me really hard and um, made me really fall in love with it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, um, you can find us as always on Instagram. You can find us online at cinebabblecast.com. You can certainly contact us. We've got some more feedback we're going to play with here in a couple of weeks. And people are looking forward to our best of the year list. Oh, yeah. Which do you want to do you want to put that up end of December, beginning of January? What what are you feeling there? I don't know. Okay. I haven't thought about it that. Feel it out. Yeah. I kind of like when we do January as more of a, a look back at yeah, because then we have that extra month just to kind of grab hold of a couple of movies that that hit at right. the end of December. Yeah, if we it, get to watch it, it might be like our first one back yeah. after Christmas or something. Okay. That's what I was thinking. So uh, yeah, look look forward to that. Uh, we still have a couple of episodes in December, but I feel like there's so many fun. movies I haven't seen from this year. Yeah, I really want to watch see Spencer. Yeah, I mean that's up that on great. Amazon. Yeah, it's a twenty dollar uh, though. Yeah, but I'm an idiot. I know. <laughs> and I might just do it and then let you know that it's in my account. If it was at the theater, I'd go see it because I am yeah. really looking forward to seeing that one. Well, if you want to see it in the theater, if if we can find a place that's showing it, I don't. That's one I want to see too. I really like Jackie. Mm, me too. And um, and I'm looking forward to this one. Did you see the trailer for the new Leonardo DiCaprio movie that's coming to Netflix? I don't think so. Oh, it's got Leonardo DiCaprio and Jonah Hill, and uh, it's it's a great little. There's there's an asteroid headed for Earth, uh-huh. and these two scientists are on the news and trying to tell everybody, and just culture doesn't care. Oh, okay. And yeah. it's such a global warming satire. <laughs> yeah. It looks genius. It's from the guy who did uh, Vice and The Big Short, and oh, it's right. got that tone to it. Uh huh. The trailer just makes it look. Yeah. I, I cannot wait for this movie. It's shot <laughs> to the top of my list once I saw that trailer. That's cool. Uh, and then Guillermo del Toro has a new one coming too with Bradley Cooper mm-hmm. and, uh, that I'm curious Mid- about. Is it Midnight something? Midnight in the, the Garden <laughs> of the Hellboy Part 3. I don't yeah. know. It, it looks interesting. Yeah, so, it does look good. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited. I, I hope both of those hit in December. Um, there was your non-trailer trailer moment. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> enough to pull up the trailer, but uh, you know. it just drove on by. <laughs> it's still going. Yeah, it does one of those trucker like. Uh, yeah, the you know, pl- <laughs> <laughs> I definitely will add that every you say. That. 
Perfect. All right. Well, today we reviewed, uh, or we're about to review, three animated movies. We already did it. It's in the past. It's in the past. Check out the past episode. Three animated movies. We are doing Wolf Walkers. We are doing The Wolf House. And then uh, April in the Extraordinary World. But let's start with Wolf Walkers. Uh, Wolf Walkers is from uh, director Tom Moore, who did uh, Song of the Sea and Secret of the Cows. Mm-hmm. And it's it's this uh, gorgeous hand-drawn animation style. And I, I always get excited with what he does. Uh, this one has this really cool sketchbook quality to it. Uh, that I'm sure we'll end up talking about. But the the plot is just basically um, in a time of superstition and magic when wolves are seen as demonic in nature and evil to be tamed, a young apprentice hunter, Robin, comes to Ireland with her father to wipe out the last pack. But when Robin saves a wild native girl, their friendship leads her to discover the world of the wolf walkers and transform into the very thing her father is tasked to destroy. Clint, uh, this has 99% love on Rotten Tomatoes. All fools. That means, really? <laughs> no. Oh, you're going to hurt my heart. <laughs> oh, you're scaring me, Clint. Clint, were you a part of the 1% that did not like Wolf Walkers, or did you love this because you're intelligent and not an idiot? <laughs> Clint, what did you think of Wolf Walkers? I think I'm slightly on the outside a little oh, bit. Just Clint, a little, no. But, no. But not to the degree I'd be in the 1%. Okay, Um the Secret of the Kells and Song of the Sea. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I I never could get into those movies. Really? Yeah, there there was just something about them in the animation where I won't like I recognize the quality. Mm-hmm. Like I I see it, but it always felt kind of I don't know the right word like kiddish. It felt like it would be on like a Saturday oh. morning cartoon for. Mm-hmm. Like three year olds or something, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just like the the style about it. There's a very there's some simplicity to it um, that I can just never get into for mm. some reason. And I and I I and I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, so going into this, I kind of had that baggage, and it, it was a reason I had never watched it because I was like, oh, I didn't really care for those other movies. Um, so, and I kind of, it, when it started, I still had that baggage. I still felt the same way. I was like, I, I see the quality of this, um, but I, it's just not connecting with me in the way I wanted to. Um, and I think it took about halfway through until mm-hmm. I really fell into the groove of the movie and started enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some subtleties to the animation style that I started picking up on. I really, the sketchiness, I kind of wasn't into at first. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I recognized what they were doing, but it was just like, uh, it, it just kind of, uh, I don't know, didn't, I'm not saying it felt unfinished, but it just, it felt like a gimmick in a way. Mm-hmm. Um but then I started picking up on some of the details of like the city, and I really liked how that was kind of represented with these kind of woodblock prints, and like all the, the designs of the inside of the rooms and everything. That, I thought that was a nice touch, and it kind of differentiated it from the outside like forest world, which was much more natural and organic shaped. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so that kind of picking up on the animation and that way it really started helping me. And then by that point, the story really gets into a high gear where it, she's out in the forest with the wolves and the, the wild child um, who's living with them and the wolf walker. And by that point, I, I, I clicked into it. And by the end, I, I really, I did really enjoy it. And this is definitely my favorite of those three films. Okay. Um, 
So I, I already know what you feel but uh, about it, but you tell me what you think of it. Yeah, this is my favorite too. Yeah. Secret of the Kells I love to look at, but uh, narratively it it had some uh, just jankiness that, that didn't quite line up for me. Yeah. I really enjoyed Song of the Sea. Song of the Sea made me cry. Uh, but Wolfwalkers is my favorite. And I think it's because this is the first one where so much of the contrast and what they're dealing with is front and center. You've got uh, nature versus religion. You've got, uh, you know, even artistically, like you were pointing out, it's it's curves versus these hard angles. Mm-hmm. And it's the idea of the world trying to tame something untamable. I, I think this is the best marriage that he's hit of visual and story. Yeah. Um, because those those themes are present so much throughout, uh, and it and it helps that the characters are fun and things like that. I, I totally get. It was a really good articulation of what it is that that has not worked for you about this style in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, because I remember initially thinking a similar thing with Secret of Cows. Yeah, but then it it sort of disarmed me. And when I went and uh, read up, <clears throat> that was Secret of the Cows, I believe. Uh, about the tapestries and the Celtic tapestries right, that, right. that these are based on in the books and the old um, things like that, and that that's what inspired most of that style. I think that pushed me past that early issue mm-hmm. and didn't bother me as much. But uh, I just I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed the voice work. I enjoyed the animation. Um, and that that level of unfinished uh, actually turned me off at first. But then I started to like it once I... Yeah, for sure, for me too. And it started becoming much more kind of a part of the story. And especially when she goes out into the wilderness with the wolves and it's so much a part of how they're drawn. And like there's moments where it takes full front stage and it adds a lot. But um, at first it just felt like it was just something... Like it was purposefully there, but it was just kind of like like I said, kind of gimmicky and like, oh, look, we're doing these uh, hand-drawn things and we're leaving yeah. the sketch lines in there. But then once it really became a part of the story, I yeah. clicked into it. Well, and, and it's it's much sketchier when it's out in the forest. Yeah, yeah. And so then it, it comes too late, but then you realize, okay, this is part of that untamed world. Right, and right. there's still an element of that untamed in this more civilized area. But, you know, then you realize it was a stylistic choice that, yeah. that has a purpose. right. It wasn't just a, oh, this will look cool. Right. Or yes. what if we didn't finish our lines? Or, right. Because I've seen, it's it's not a new trick. It's not something no. that, you know, I mean, clearly animation directors could make it as smooth as they wanted to. Mm-hmm. There's always a very intentional choice to leaving it uh, where it's not that way. You look at something like a Miyazaki film. Yeah. It's very finished. Right. Very polished. Uh, you know, almost every line is exactly how he wants it. And um, I can really appreciate, like... Um, there's a lot of um, independent animation that I really am into that's, you know, it's got the sketchy lines where you really, really feel the hand-drawn aspect of it where it's not completely matching up and it's jittery and yeah. um, and that be- gives its own character and I can really enjoy that. And then this, I think that's kind of what my problem with this was. It was like, it feels polished, mm-hmm. but then the choice at the beginning, like, like I said, the beginning of the movie yeah. and the choice to leave some of that, it kind of distracted me at first, but until, like we're saying, it becomes much more important. Well, an animation is a very difficult form. Oh, it's yeah. not like I've done it, but I, I can only imagine oh, for sure. the amount of work that goes into it. And so the smaller your team, naturally, the more 
or the less polished it's going mm-hmm. to be. Because if you have a team of one, two, three, five, whatever, uh, to to get a Miyazaki level production would be backbreaking. Right. It would just take a decade or more yeah. to try to, especially hand animate something at that level. And so I understand when there's a trade off for just practicality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you were saying about, uh, like we were talking about the the stick figure animation. Yeah. It's very clear that that you do not have a giant studio making that film. Right. And so it's, well, what do you have? What do you have to work with? What can you do? And then how do you make that uh, have as much power as it does? Right. So you recognize your limitations. And, and that's even, that doesn't even have to be animation. We've talked about that before. Don't overshoot your ambition. You know, figure out what you can do and make the best movie you can at that level. Mm-hmm. Because anytime filmmakers, animated or otherwise, try to push beyond that level, that's where you start to feel like there's just, there's something off here. That's when you get disappointed because I see what they're going for, but just visually or or whatever, it it didn't it didn't have what it needed to pull it off. Yeah. Well, I mean, me personally, I I will always lean towards the more hand done, feeling mm-hmm. the artist touch. Like yeah. even like that's why I I love you know like the eighties whatever earlier horror films where you, the, yeah. the stop motion like beasts and all of that stuff where you get the practical effects. I love all that stuff. And so in animation, I love that too. But then uh, in a movie like this where they do have the budget and it's it's a bigger animation studio, yeah. um, I have to question when they um, choose to leave some of that in because um, it, it, it's it's not a practicality thing. It's a yeah. choice. And so it takes me a minute to like understand okay what's the decision here yeah um and i'm trying and i also i i'm sorry to interrupt no no you're fine um like i was saying about this the style earlier about how it kind of feels not not childlike but it's just like there's it's kind of geared towards a younger market in some way you could definitely let a kid watch this and they could enjoy it at a different level but they would enjoy it just as much as an adult in the room for sure yeah um I was trying like the, that part of it. I was distracted at the beginning of it, mm-hmm. and I feel like I should go back and watch it, just knowing where it goes now. Um, I'm I have all my baggage from the other films, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to pick a part at the beginning of it. Just like, what is it about this that like is turning me off? Like, what it, like, and I'm like, is it the character designs? Like, there's a there's a very child like simplicity to the child the childlike faces, and so I'm trying to like figure out what and nail down why do I feel the way I do about this you also always I mean every one of his movies the the primary character the protagonist is a child mm-hmm. and I, I think that doesn't help either I yeah. think if you had that style but your main character was an adult I think you would react differently but yeah. your entry point is a child right and it's childlike animation or design and so I I can see where that would all pile on top of itself. Yeah, for sure. Um, because there were some older characters, like her father. Like, mm-hmm. I like the design of the father. Yeah. I like the design of, like, the, uh, what was he, the, like... The uh, priest, priest or the, the evil. Yeah, some of the other characters. Yeah. Like, I liked the design. There was, mm-hmm. like, some very strong choices in the design there, and I really enjoyed it. But it was the, the characters that were children. I, I was like, I just don't like the design of these children. Yeah. But... I don't know. Once I got past that, I, I really did yeah. enjoy it. Okay. Yeah. Well, that that kind of brings us right to La Casa Lobo, the Wolf House, which is this <laughs> Spanish, um, 
uh, is is claymation the right word for this? I guess no. But it's, it's, it's stop motion. It, yeah, yeah. It it's got it's very very hard to describe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a very striking visual style. Um, but let's let's kind of talk about that. Uh, the Wolf House is a Spanish film, uh, and it's from directors Cristobal Leon and Joaquin Cochina. Mm-hmm. And this thing, uh, oh my goodness, talk mm-hmm. about nightmare fuel. This really unnerved me. Yeah, and it means to. Oh yeah, it is. It is not a stylistic anomaly. No, this is meant to be a horror film. Yeah, in in all honesty, and it's it's about subject matter, all everything oh, yeah. included. It's yeah. it's not supposed to be a, a fun experience. No, uh, this is about Maria, a young woman who finds refuge in a house in the south of Chile after escaping from a sect of German religious fanatics. She's welcomed into the home by two pigs, the only inhabitants of the place. Uh, and like in a dream, the universe of the house reacts to Maria's feelings. This is based on a very real mm-hmm. uh, event uh, that Netflix has a documentary, and it's called. Um, um, oh, I lost it. I had it, <laughs> and then it just. We are so good. <sighs> We're professional. I know. Well, it's based on Colonia Dignidad. Yes. Yeah. So uh, that's so story. if you just search Colonia Dignidad on uh, Netflix, you'll find this documentary. The documentary is excellent. It's about this this religious uh, guy who, escaping charges of child abuse, fled to Chile. Yeah, from uh, Germany. Chile, from Germany, and sets up this commune and uh, with all these people. And yeah, they're all they like ex-Nazis. Them, yeah, and they wall themselves off and have this little idyllic community, but he's a monster. Yeah. Uh, and he separates parents from children, and he—I mean, it's wild, and this went on for decades. Yeah, yeah. And it's—it's—I—not it, since the Woody Allen documentary <laughs> and the Michael Jackson documentary have I been as disturbed by content as this documentary— and he becomes part of like the with the dictatorship oh, yeah. there, and he's like uh, imprisoning he's, um, uh, prisoners of war there, they're like interrogating people. Yeah. They're, and and the fact that so many people, he keeps everybody segregated enough mm-hmm. that they can't see what the other hand's doing. So nobody has quite a large picture of how evil this guy is. They get hints, but then there's enough religious fanaticism that covers that up or makes them feel like. You know, it's it's they're just doing a necessary evil. Um, but that's moving away from Wolf House. But but Wolf House is really uh, kind of informed by mm-hmm. this very real event. And especially when you know that I watched the documentary after yeah. Wolf House. I actually want to go back and watch Wolf House if I can brave it. I want to go back and watch Wolf House again, having now watched the documentary, uh, just to see what other subtleties are there. Yeah. Uh, what was what was your first reaction to Wolf House? How did you even find this thing to tell me about it? It was one of those nights where I'm just like perusing on, um, you know, all the streaming services. Mm-hmm. I was on Shutter, and they had the, you know, the little, uh, you know, they had the little poster yeah. or whatever it and was. The, it looked interesting. It looked really yeah. interesting because it's just a still from the movie. And I was like, oh, that looks really interesting. And it kind of out of place on Shudder because mm-hmm. it's you know, normally just like 80s yeah. horror movies you might not have seen or lesser known stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's interesting. So I watched the trailer and I was like, Oh my gosh, like this is like someone made a movie for me. It's so like <laughs> in, in this moment, because I was looking for something super strange yeah. and weird. And um and I watched it, and I was blown away. Uh, immediately went online and bought a copy of it on DVD because mm-hmm. I was like, I have to own this thing. This is amazing. Um, super inspired by kind of um, 
uh, John Frank uh, Meyer and like all those um, independent like stop motion artists, um, the Quay brothers. and Well, and the stop motion is very interesting. And that's why I almost said or why I said claymation at first, because you'll but it is stop yeah, there's motion. No clay. There's no clay, <laughs> but it, it has that claymation. They do a thing where one physical form will swirl into another oh, right. or it will yeah. change before your eyes. Mm-hmm. And this, they do it in stop motion, but this has a lot of that oh, right. where yeah. it, it will just transition and, from yeah. one character to another. Uh, and it's, it, that's, that's part of the, the disturbing element. It, it almost at times feels like things are melting and reforming. Yeah. And it, that was the stuff that really started to get under my skin. Mm-hmm. It was that idea of being in a dream, that nothing oh, is yeah. real. And that before your eyes, something... Will become something else. And, and, and yeah. not in a good way. No, no. In, it's always in a worse. very, always worse. Yeah. Um, you know, especially when the pigs start changing and yeah, things like people. that. Yeah. Uh, it just, it really, uh, you know, the, the it tapped into the things from childhood with like Pinocchio and going to the island where kids are turning into donkeys and stuff. Uh-huh. This tapped that old fear uh, in ways that that no other movie has since. It yeah. just really, really got to me. At yeah. one point, I just made an excuse. Like I, I paused, went upstairs to get a drink, <laughs> movie snack, whatever, because it just it was really getting to me. Well, I mean, it's relentless yeah. because this, it doesn't stop. No, it doesn't stop. It's constantly just transforming and morphing. And the story is. It's not saying it's light on story, but it's just sparse, and it's just. It's kind of more stream of consciousness, yeah. and that's kind of how they made it because they started making it, and they weren't quite sure if it was going to be a feature. Okay. They were started as like kind of an art project. Just but, see how long it goes. Yeah, they started. Well, I mean, they at some point they got the story, but it started out more as like they're they're those collaborators. They've done short films together, and they started working on it, and they're not quite sure. They had the they didn't first have the intention of making a full length film. But then as they were going, they got more inspired by like the Colonia Dignidad yeah. story and, and investigating that more. And um, it slowly morphed kind of like the movie morphs into this full length thing. And um, and it gets, yeah, it just gets so much more interesting as it goes. Yeah. Um, there was one point and it was probably 20, 30 minutes in where I thought this should have been a short. And that thought lasted about 30 seconds. Yeah. Because it was right at this moment, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was basically as much as this movie has, which it doesn't, act breaks. Mm -hmm. It was right at this moment where it felt like, okay, well, where are they going with this? What is, like, how is this going to sustain itself for an hour and a half or whatever it is? Uh, And then it finds its way. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, completely, like, changes directions in ways and goes into, that's another part of the dreamlike aspect of it is like they're in this house which you think you know the orientation of and like the walls and you think you know the space but then like another room will open up yeah and so it gets it's kind of that thing like in a dream where you you think you know the space and then you go and it's like oh a whole different like memory of yours where you're in a completely different like place it changes for what the dream needs yeah Rather than what the story needs or whether whether it makes sense or any of that. Yeah. So then it'll, um, it'll go into a bathroom that you didn't know yeah. was there. And, and then, it's very disorienting. Yeah. Just like in a dream. Mm-hmm. And they, they visualize it in a way that makes it very disorienting for the yeah. viewer. Yeah. 
And they do a really good job, I mean, of as little as there is as far as character and stuff of giving you enough information about like the, the pigs and like their transformation and her relationship to them and like how that changes and like how they're viewing her yeah. as like first as like a mother and then as a captor. And um, she kind of becomes the, the Colonia Dignidad leader yeah. in a way where like in a smaller version of it, she's become what she hates and they, it, yeah, it's really interesting. Well, and that's why I want to go back and watch it after having watched the documentary, because the documentary is so much, you get such an idea of what a cult does mm-hmm. and how it changes you and how by the end you're doing things you would have never done at the beginning right. or never justified at the beginning, but suddenly you're becoming the very thing that you're following. Even though it's inherently evil, you can't see it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great story in the middle of the documentary where this kid, I think he's 17 or 18, and they're talking to him as an adult. He ran away and he was successfully away for for two weeks or so. And mm-hmm. then they caught him and they bring him back and they punish him for years and it just broke him. Mm-hmm. And he was still there at the end decades later because that moment where he had his rebellion and he was, you know, I'm, I'm going to flee. They tracked him down, which was weird in itself. They didn't just let him go. Uh, they went and got him, brought him back and just relentlessly brainwashed him back into the commune yeah. and he was just dead inside and listening to him describe it as an adult, that process being able to look back and what he felt at the time and what he felt after. And he even says, I would have done anything at that point because it was just literal beatings and right. it was literal torture and, and things where he was being shunned consistently. And so all these levels, he was being isolated and it just did what they wanted it to do, which was turn him back into what they were trying to make him all along. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, with that in mind, watching Wolf House again, I, I would imagine those sorts of things would have even more impact. For sure. Definitely. And there's things I didn't, like I, when I watched it, I mean, I didn't know anything about the yeah. story. And um, so watching it again, and I got Jenny to watch it. And uh, it was really interesting. Like I didn't pick up on like the, like the, the pigs turning into these children and they at one point turn into these blue-eyed, blonde-haired children, yeah. and like the whole like Nazi like um, like Aryan, Aryan like undertones of that like before it just seemed like they were children, but then yeah. like knowing the history a little bit more is like man, that's it's I don't know it's just so subtly yeah. there. Also, I was reading up a little bit about this, and like it was about the film and just the kind of the history of the the story and they're talking about um like the power of like telling a story like this like uh, of a of this this cult basically and how is is it more powerful to because there was a few years ago there was a like straight film at like movie Mm -hmm. a version like um like emma watts or something's in it or something and is it more powerful to try to tell it in that way, tell it through documentary or tell it through something like this, which is coming at it in this completely abstract way. And it makes you, you're like, what is this? And like, what is this representing? And then it makes you do exploration on your own and discover the story on your own. And it gives you this other like kind of stepping stone into this world. And for me, it was much more powerful learning about it through this. I I agree because I knew nothing about the documentary. I came to the documentary 
only because I watched this. I don't think, and, and even the way yeah. the documentary is presented and structured, it would not have kept me going. Yeah. Because it really unfolds things almost journalistically mm-hmm. where you don't realize how bad it's going to get at any point until it, it it's almost, it disarms you because by the time you're at episode four or five and realizing how bad it is, you realize I never thought it would have been that bad at the beginning. Right. And this is just watching a, you know, couple hours of a documentary. Right. Then to imagine in the same way living that for year after year after year, it would affect you in a way that you get roped into things or you get lulled into a false sense of security before the stuff really blows up. Uh, it reminds me a lot of I, I can see, I cannot imagine Midnight Mass. Uh, was not inspired by this, hmm. uh, where when they were writing that, because they do a very similar thing in that. And it's, it's nothing new. Stephen King's done that. A lot of horror has has looked at how do you get to a place that you're making evil decisions if you're not an evil person. And, I mean, it's Jonestown. Oh, it's sure. Like, it's, yeah, it's all those it, cult, yeah. um, you know, even more recently, Nexium and, yeah. and all those things. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's fascinating to me. I would like to believe that in that situation... It would not break me or I would not be that, but right. I don't think so. And I, I think one of the most interesting things, and whether you're looking at Wolf House or the documentary or whatever else, it makes you question where in my life have I accepted those same things, even at a small level or a harmless sure. level, where have I allowed something into my mind that I just sort of accept because I've never critically thought about it or I've never taken a, a good critical look at it or questioned it in a way uh, other than how something's been presented to me. Yeah, me. I mean, me too. I especially like growing up religious in this mm-hmm. church and taking it all at face value. Um, it it makes me think about like in a low level form. It was kind of a similar situation, and like it, ne- it never went dark like that. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's there's an a entry point where it. It could go that way. Um, well, it is and that's, interesting. Looking back at my church experience, um, you know, I I see and understand where people don't like to question and don't like to mm-hmm. explore and things like that because it's it's scary. It's easier to have a nice uh, prepackaged, you know, here's the way we think. Yeah, just accept this and right. you'll be fine. Yeah, and you're one of us. And we all know what we're what we're doing, and we've got it all figured out. Um, and then there's there's something about being able to get out and say, okay, is that actually true? Mm-hmm. Is that healthy for me? Is that you know something that's conducive to to what I'm figuring out about life? Mm-hmm. And I I think people really split into kind of two groups. You have the people who are just either comfortable or or manipulated into thinking. This is just the way it is, mm-hmm. and I don't want to rock the boat. And then you have other people who unfortunately get accused of rocking the boat, and all they're trying to do is figure life out or figure out what they believe or things like that. Right. And it it fascinates me that that's so scary to groups. And it's not just religious. It's political. It's it's all these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's parental. When you have a kid and suddenly your kid's thinking differently than you, mm-hmm. that's scary because... Well, you know, we're Republicans and here's our kid turning into a Democrat or we're Democrats and here's our kid turning into a Republican. Uh, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And what is that going to mean for their life? And what does that mean for our Thanksgiving dinners? Um, 
you know, and you and I have talked about that multiple times, just that, that weird encounter with family when you realize you have come to a different place right. than your family is at. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. And, and that's such a small level. I can't even imagine or wrap my head around a cult and sure. what that's like coming out of that or the interviews with some of these people. Some of them in the documentary have served prison time mm-hmm. because of, of their time at this. And they're looking back and they're baffled. Uh, there's one married couple who had no idea how how babies were made, mm. and suddenly they're married in their 40s, and she's crushed because she realizes she's too old to have children. Oh, <laughs> man. And it's, it's stuff like that yeah. where it's just they even now free of this thing they grew up in and mm-hmm. have been in for 40-some years, uh, they're just in a lot of ways like children. Mm-hmm. And the abuse continues because things that they should have had the ability to do or have access to or choose totally stripped away from them. Right. And to listen to this woman just break because, you know, even at 50, she's still experiencing the ramifications of this thing from childhood. Mm-hmm. It just, so all that to say, you go to <laughs> then something like Wolf House and it's such a perfect encapsulation of how you get drugged into something and what gets taken from you. Right. And how much when condensed down to a feature length, it's not, it's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's terrifying that, that that sort of process can happen. And that's where I really like the animation style for this. Oh yeah. Because it gives you that feeling of this is not right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Right. This is not predictable. This is not safe. Uh, yeah. This is, this is not a safe film. No, it never feels like there are little brief moments where it does. There's moments where there's these like kind of choir children singing over Mm -hmm. kind of as beautiful as this film can get. There are moments of like birds fluttering around, but it always turns into hell and uh, like, and, uh, but, and there's moments of where you get disarmed by it. And uh, I think those moments are really powerful. And going back to the animation style, I wanted to talk about that for a minute because it's all done with basically like your craft store things, like very cheap like, oh, yeah. supplies, like tape and just whatever paint you had, they had and string. And, and it, it's basically set up in these spaces in these rooms and it's painted on the walls. It's painted on the floors. The whole environment is used where like furniture is being swept across the room by these like hands of God you never see. Yeah. And like the animation is like moving them and, it's and it like transforms from the walls into these uh, physical things in the middle of the room, like made out of tape. And you can see the as the camera is moving, the um, objects like the people will also form. So like it'll look like just like an unfinished thing, but then like slowly like pieces together. And they do a really great thing with the sound design where. Rather than just seeing these things transform visually, you can hear this like skittering sound of it coming together. And it's so unnerving and um, so ingenious. And also they would do this, like this isn't like set up in some studio. They would take this uh, in like multiple galleries and they would set up and work on it. And you could come and watch them work on it for like 
I, I mean, I think it took them like five years or something mm-hmm. to do this. That's really and cool. And they would go to multiple galleries, work on it for a while as kind of like this installation. And then they'd move to another one and work on it some more. And uh, and I thought that was such a really interesting, awesome. especially if you're working in such a long form thing yeah. like this to break it up and make it more interesting. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to bring and invite people into the process. Yeah. Which is also a, a cool way to interact with the people that are ultimately going to watch your art mm-hmm. in its final form to to see it pieced together. And that's that's kind of the whole time I'm watching this. I yes, it's very dreamlike, but in dreams, your perception is constantly distracted by the story or what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. This felt like stepping back and watching somebody else's dream and you're watching what they don't see. They're focused on the thing that's already formed. Right. You're seeing the brain put together. Yeah. Yeah. All of the things that are, that are about to then step in front of the person that's dreaming. Yeah. And so that was very unnerving to me because Mm -hmm. it felt like it, it, it's very dreamlike, very nightmare like, but at the same time you feel like you're seeing the parts of the nightmare that your brain puts together before you get to see them. Mm-hmm. And that really unsettled me. Yeah. Uh, and and just like you said, especially the sound design, especially that that stitching sound of, of things coming together and scratching. And yeah. It, it just, you can feel almost like the Jaws theme. You right. know something's coming. Yeah. It, you, you hear the sound of it before it starts to form or, mm-hmm. or you start to get the sense of, oh, something's about to change, something's shifting. Yeah. And it puts you on edge before it even clicks what's about to happen or what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just this, – this was such a um, engaging and uh, all-encompassing yeah, kind for of sure. visual and audio experience. And I think that's part of why it, it really – just I could not get comfortable in it mm-hmm. at all. It's an amazing film. Um, I I would have a hard time watching this on the regular, <laughs> but it, it's an amazing piece of art. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, yeah. And, you know, objectively, I think this is a much more interesting and better film than something like Wolf Walkers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, to compare the two is, is no, very No, I mean, there's no reason to, like, really compare the two. They're completely different disciplines yeah. in a well, way. Well, and they're and setting out to do two entirely yeah. different things. Yeah. And I, I think I, I thought was interesting is um, I watched an interview with the, the directors, and they were talking about how, like, I think it was part of that. They were talking about how they weren't really first setting out to make a horror film. Mm-hmm. But just their visual language and visual style... Mm-hmm. And what they're interested in visually um, is dark things. And yeah. they sometimes don't see it as dark things. It's just like what interests them. And I can really relate to that because like sometimes like in art or music that I work on at the moment, I'm feeling like, oh, this feels really nice. Yeah. And then I have an outside eye or ear hear it. And they're like, oh man, that's really dark. Yeah. Or like, that's I'm like, oh, really? It is? <laughs> like, well, your, your artwork has always been really interesting to me. We went to a gallery show of art you did. Uh, in town. And it was so funny because listening to you describe your pieces yeah. <laughs> and the themes and, and what you were thinking of when you did them is so much lighter and more whimsical yeah. than what anyone in the room is interpreting <laughs> them to be. You got these giants and these weird naked people and it, I don't even want to describe your art anymore because I make it sound stupid, but your art's amazing. But it's it's one of those, it's so much darker to look at. Yeah. 
and, and you always my... seem surprised by it. You're like, well, I was just, I thought it would look cool if or I. The, or or so, it's like old people saying like, man, you like, are you okay? Or like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, fine. It's just like yeah. my visual style, like what I'm interested in. Yeah. And it's just like funny. I always think it's funny when yeah. someone thinks I'm disturbed. <laughs> yeah. Well, and on the opposite end of that, that brings us to April in the Extraordinary World, uh-huh. which, uh, man, just French Miyazaki here right yeah. out of the gate. Uh, this was our Cinetron pick this week. And it's uh, the plot is in a strange alternate history world, a young girl named Avril sets off in search of her parents, missing scientists, and the company of Darwin, her talking cat, and Julius, a young street rascal. Uh, this this also was quite the little surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is three surprises for me uh, <laughs> from these animated films. What did you think of April in the Extraordinary World? Well, I'd watched this a few years ago. It was on Netflix for the longest time. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean, I I love animation. I'll give anything a shot. Um, I I and I was thoroughly surprised by this film. Like I I didn't know it was going to go in these really interesting steampunky yeah, sci-fi directions say, very at steampunk. first. Uh, and so as it unfolds and like gives more of the story, I was like, oh man, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. Like and I and it's especially interesting coming from this French perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's um, uh, based on the art of um, is it Tout? Yes. Um, this French um, graphic uh, designer, illustrator, but that's what I want to say, illustrator, uh, who's famous. I, I, I wasn't familiar with him, but they, it's based on his art style, not any of his particular stories. Um, but they got him to come in and do character design for it, which was cool. Um, so it's cool seeing it from that perspective of this French um, uh it almost has a, a throwback, almost like 1010 and, yeah. and some of those old mm-hmm. animated or not animated, but comic strip yeah. kind of looks to the characters. For sure. Um, and, th- and then put in motion, it has this very old world kind yeah. of feel to it. Which is uh, kind of fitting with the subject matter. And, and especially with the steampunk aspects yeah. too, it really works. Mm-hmm. And it, it comes together. I had seen trailers for this and, and it was in my queue for the longest time and I just never watched it. Yeah. Because it wasn't really grabbing me. But once you actually watch the movie, it it almost immediately comes together so well. Yeah. And it unfolds so naturally and at such a good pace mm-hmm. as it goes that it really pulls you in. Yeah. And and it's it's a very enjoyable and kind of easy experience. For sure. Yeah. Um I watched this soon after Wolf House. Uh-huh. And this was my palate cleanser. <laughs> oh, that, this was my that's oh, thank a good God. order. Yeah. Oh thank God. Uh I needed this movie yeah. after Wolf House. Uh because it's just it's one of those little little slices of delightful adventure. I know. It's um, like it's just a nice adventure story. Yeah. And in the same way, like I love Miyazaki, but sometimes those leave me like like there's such an emotional like attachment that I have to them. Like I have to recover a little bit, but this was, it feels much lighter in a way. Miyazaki gets heavy. Yeah. Because he's dealing with themes of, of society or industry versus nature or, or things that are being taken or lost or, and you can feel it. The real world ramifications of war or something like that. Like this is much more just playing with the ideas of like uh, the, 
industrial revolution and like the steampunk world. And I actually really enjoy the very straightforward nature of the beginning telling like the history of the yeah. steampunk world. Like yeah. it's very much like telling your grandmother almost like, yeah. so it, like the technology didn't continue. So steam just continued. And it's just like a very, very nice, pleasant way yeah. of bringing this world together. And it has that storybook quality. And this yeah. is one, the the protagonist is young, mm-hmm. but it, it, Never, you know, going back to what you said about Wolfwalkers, it doesn't feel like a children's film. Yeah. Not that a kid couldn't enjoy this, but it's it's definitely operating off of some style and some knowledge and some ideas that I think you have to have a little more uh, knowledge, even periphery of, of history and things For like sure. that to enjoy. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a very... Um, culturally specific film too Mm -hmm. it this is this is uber french this is very very (laughs) french and just in the way that miyazaki is very japanese Mm -hmm. this is um it it plays with a lot of society it plays with a lot of um you know kind of class tug of war it plays with a lot of especially with the industrial revolution it plays with with science and reason versus you know the past whatever you want to call that but it's you can feel the advancement and the adventure is a part of that technological advancement right and that story just lines up so perfectly with the time period and and the alternate history and all these things that it increases the fun of it mm-hmm. because you have that feeling of not in a nightmare way like Wolf House, but mm-hmm. what's around the next corner? And right. what's she going to run into next? And it's that's where the whimsy is and, and the fun. Yeah, because you kind of feel like it could be almost anything. Yeah. Like, because um, especially with like the little hints of or like touches of showing these historical sci- like scientists from history who have mm. been captured and like are all held by these these foes yeah. and like and it's like oh I recognize them him yeah. or like yeah. yeah there's Einstein there or yeah. it, that's that's fun being able to play with that kind of thing and they don't they don't draw a lot of attention to it no, no, at no. all it's, it's like, just yeah. background detail mm-hmm. that's fun knowing that it's an alternate history seeing those little things that that tie it to real history for sure it just um, kind of flushes it out a little yeah. bit and yeah. it's not in your face i think in a way like this um i mean i love miyazaki but mm-hmm. i feel like in a way cuz he has a, a lot of influence from like europe mm-hmm. like the european like sensibility in his animation and like the countryside and things that he draws and it, and i think in this it feels a little bit more natural because it actually is this um a French tale told in France by this like French um, animator. So it feels more in a way like uh, put together in that way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like um, um, not that I ever, it takes me out of a Miyazaki film, but it just feels like it all fits together in a, a cohesive way in yeah. this. Well, and it feels independent to itself. It feels yeah. like it, it is a product of, um, it, its own culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't feel those influences. Miyazaki, you can really feel, and maybe that's because you have so many movies to watch from him, but you can feel kind of his development yeah. as a as an international artist mm-hmm. and animator instead of just a Japanese storyteller. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas this feels much more, uh, you know, somebody that's just grown up on the outskirts of Paris right. who has become, you know, a, a director of animation and is just making this tale that... Uh, you know, with this French illustrator mm-hmm. that that's just very personally exciting, yeah, um, and just piques his imagination. These are three movies that have very different 
uh, perspectives of imagination. Mm-hmm. And that's that's ultimately one of the things I love about animation. Me too. I think yeah. better than than most films is that you really get a sense of what excites and engages a very particular artist. It's like pure in it, like it, like imagination yeah. just like condensed down to this form because it's like it's every aspect yeah. of it is from your head like the characters yeah. and the, the complete style and it, anything is possible yeah. you don't have to worry about visual effects you don't have to worry about it's just uh, even going back to the stick figures what's the story you want to tell and what's the visual mode you're going to use to tell that mm-hmm. and it's it's one of the purest glimpses into somebody's mind right and the way they approach story or theme or or style or anything else it has that very art gallery you can turn the corner and, and there can just be anything mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter if it traditionally looks like everything else in fact the less it looks like everything else the more interesting it is right and yeah. i think that's something not that's lost in uh, traditional films, but it just it takes a while to un- unless you're really talking about some distinct directors and cinematographers, it's hard to pin down style as much for sure in in a filmmaker's work. Yeah. Whereas animation, you can feel it instantly. Mm-hmm. I I can probably with with a lot of these animators, you could show me one frame of a movie I've never seen, and I'd be like, oh, that's the guy that did Secret of Kells. Yeah. That's Miyazaki. Oh, that's uh, you know the the director of April and the Extraordinary World. It mm-hmm. just you can you can get that sense immediately, and so then to see it brought to life, mm-hmm. and moving, and and things like that, you can look in a second like that's a Disney movie, that's a Pixar movie, that's a DreamWorks movie. Even with the CG animation, yeah, they have their own kind of style, mm-hmm. um, which is always really amazing to me um, when. Because on something like a Pixar film or anything, like there's large crews like uh, mm-hmm. of of illustrators and artists working on that to condense the, all those people like their skills and like style like into one cohesive thing is amazing to me. Like yeah. to, to all agree on like okay, this is how the character is going to work or yeah. look, and we're all going to draw it like this at this point, like throughout this uh, process, and that's always amazing to me. Even when you go back to like Snow White and the early Disney mm-hmm. animation, you have the nine old men uh, is what they you know collectively became referred to as, uh-huh. but you've got these very distinct artists that are having to, you know, they'd each take a character or they'd take different scenes or they would do different designs. And then you have somebody in the middle wrangling it all together and bringing out something that works together mm-hmm. uh, or that that plays to the different styles. You know, if you've ever wondered why the, the seven dwarves look so different, it's right. because different people are creating them mm-hmm. and, and animating them. And but the story lends itself to that, and right. so it brings it together. Um, but just to be able to pull all those different talents and all those different skills uh, is just—it's—it's it's so amazing. And I know you get that in the visual effects world too, especially when you know something large, a comic book movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. You've got to pull all these different concept designers and illustrators and CG artists into a vision that then is going to line up with your live action footage and with the other movies in your series. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's fascinating to me. I love all of that. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, have you seen, I'm in the blanking on the name of it, but there were, it was a couple years ago, there was a animated movie come that came out about um, Vincent Van Gogh. Yes. The completely hand painted painted one. That that what made me think of that is like having like, I don't know how many artists there were, like a hundred or something that were all doing oil paints. 
for years. Every frame of this is a unique oil painting. painting. Yeah. It's, it's incredible to look at. Uh, And it just, it swirls and it, it changes from one image to the next. The the transitions alone. I know. It's it's so beautiful. And like it, it's Vincent van Gogh come to life and this, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, And it's one of those things I doubt they made nearly enough money to justify all the work, but in animation, that's that's not the point. Right. You're you're taking a vision and you're you're bringing it to life. Mm-hmm. And you know, outside of a, a Disney or a Pixar, I think they're they're kind of your your profit house animation. Mm-hmm. And and that sounds bad. I don't mean it that way. Very skilled artists and things like that. But at the end of the day, Disney the studio needs this movie to make money. Right. Right. And. A lot of these other, especially the three we've talked about, these are usually self-funded, or they've they've got uh, you know different um, investors or different producers that have cobbled together a budget mm-hmm. so that they can complete this work, and maybe it makes money, hopefully, right? Uh, you know, but I I doubt Wolfhouse saw a a ton of money come in. Right. But I don't think that matters to them at all. For sure. And I mean, I, that got critical praise. And like, I'm sure that it's probably going to lead to, I mean, working on other projects and, you know, art installations. They're, I'm sure like they're, it's benefited them in numerous ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. So Wolfwalkers, check it out. Don't be put off too much by the the kiddish tone of it. Give it a chance. Uh, Wolfhouse, man, it, if dig, you're a horror dig lover, dig your nails in for this one. Yeah, this yeah. is it's it's a horror movie. Yeah, it's one of those rare horror animated movies. Uh, you don't. I can't usually, think of another really. Not that works like this. Yeah. Um. I. You know. There's there's some I'm spooky sure, animation out there, yeah. but this really, Coraline, uh, was. Yeah. You know, disturbing, for, sure. but but for a kids movie. Yeah. Wolfhouse does not in any way feel like a kid's movie. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, the closest it reminded me of is that scene in The Adventures of Mark Twain mm. where the kids run into literal Lucifer. Uh-huh. Um, this is that whole movie and, and worse. Yeah, and, I mean, if you're into like Jan Svankmeyer or yeah. the Quay Brothers or like David Lynch's um, early um, yeah. s- stop motion shorts and stuff, man, check this out. This is an hour of that sure. in, in just For horror sure. form. It's amazing. And then April in the Extraordinary World. Just a, a delightful adventure. That's all. Delightful and adventure is all I keep thinking of. It yeah. Just... I wanted to ask you before we like completely wrap up on mm-hmm. that one is the steampunk nature of it. Do you think that they were inspired in, in by like the Miyazaki? Because there is the moment where it's kind of got the uh, the walking house. and Yeah, I, I definitely think this has some Miyazaki maybe a nod influence. To this has some. Uh, what's the guy that did Akira that eventually did Steam Boy? Oh right, yeah. Um, it's it's got some of his there, his influence there. They're they're definitely aware of other things out yeah. there, and and they're learning from each other. Animation is a community mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, where it feels like uh, they're all. It's still a relatively small genre compared right. to other films, and it it feels like they all know about each other for sure. Um, you know, I just I always imagine every time some animated movie comes out, uh, they just hit a pub or a bar somewhere where wherever there's a premiere and just talk animation. <laughs> uh, and that's that's probably ridiculous. They're too busy for that. But well, also, I mean, the the kind of the fun of this one too was that like you can do a nod to Miyazaki and that's like steampunk way where you know, like the house. I mean, that's kind of a direct thing, like the house moving castle. But also, I mean, this is such 
straight science base, like that is more of a magical world, um, yeah. that it doesn't feel like ripping it off in any way. It feels yeah. like we were, we're um, inspired by you. We love your work. And here's a little like yeah. head nod to you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see what Sinatron has for us this week. Have you heard of this one? Uh, Twenty sixty seven. <laughs> I I've not only heard of it, I have watched the trailer for it and decided I wasn't going to watch it. <laughs> now you are. <sighs> <sighs> okay. <laughs> All right. Tell me the vague premise of this, if you can remember. Um, directors don't have enough money, <laughs> and they come up with an idea that's beyond their budget. And they get some B-level cast, and they're going to see what they can put together. Hulu gives them just enough money to make it? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe this thing is good. It just, man, I watched I don't even know if I finished the trailer. I was just like, yeah, no. Wow, that's not <laughs> boating well. No. Can't get through the trailer. No. Although, you know, maybe it's a reverse lamb. Lamb, I love the trailer. And then, Wow. Look at that. Yeah. Uh, maybe this one will really surprise me. Yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of sci-fi. They saved all their best um, stuff for not to having it on yeah. the trailer. I'm I'm worried, though, because coming off of Dune and Foundation, uh, like 2067 oh. may even take more of a knock because I'm just, I'm on such a sci-fi high right now. Yeah, I know. Well, that's, <sighs> I started watching the new Enterprise or the uh, Discovery. Discovery. Yeah. Um, and before, I remember thinking, man, these effects are really good for a television yeah. show. And now after seeing Foundation, yeah. I'm just like, these these effects are okay. <laughs> oh, no. No. I'm not saying it's bad, but yeah. it's just like, yeah. man, really raised the bar in the past yeah, few Discovery months. Discovery is definitely a CG fest. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to its ships. And it's... It's it's still definitely better than most things yeah. that are on television, but it just, man, Foundation okay. blew everything out of the water. So 2067, I will suck it up and maybe, who knows, maybe it'll be on my, my best of list. Yeah. I, I doubt it, but whatever. Maybe it's just a few years after Blade Runner 2049. Maybe. It's, just... it's got What's-His-Face, last name, What's-His-Face. Oh, I you love recognize that guy. him. Yeah, he's in that thing uh -huh. and that other thing. And I'm never a particular fan of him because I, I feel, always feel like he's acting. But, uh -huh. you know, maybe uh, maybe he'll he'll do a better thing this time than he did with the other thing. <laughs> Mr. What's-His-Face doing that I thing. I literally can't. I can <laughs> I cannot even get a fully formed picture of his face. Um, it's, it's like, uh, eyes, nose, it's no, he's Doesn't human. He have those? He's human. Oh, okay. He's human. Uh, it might be that kid from the road. Oh, or maybe McPhee? that. Maybe. Zippy uh, McPhee? Or maybe <laughs> Zippy, <laughs> Zippy McPhee. It might be that kid from, uh, Ender's Game, Ace yeah, of Butterfield. I, it might be. Uh, oh, is it Butterfield? <laughs> Butterfield. Is that a real name? <laughs> That's what popped into my head. What a terrible name. Ace of Butterfield. <laughs> 
I mean, it's better than Zippy McPhee. That sounds made like up. a character that would pop up in April in the Extraordinary World. It, this it is, is my friend Asa Butterfield. No, it is definitely a name like that. <laughs> Asa Butterfield. Okay. Um, His father worked out in the Butterfields. Seriously, the Butterfields. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll check out 2067, and we'll be back with some other things too. Uh, I think I think our next episode uh, we've wanted to talk about Titan for quite a while, and we have also wanted to talk about um, Last Night in Soho. I don't know if we'll have 2067 by the time we talk about those, but uh, we'll get we'll get 2067 here pretty soon. So this has been Cinebabble. You're welcome. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. It's it's. Uh, Oof. You've been asking for it. Oof. Yeah. And When's that 2067 review coming up? I know. I know. Here you go. Come on, guys. 2067. <laughs> get with it. Dune. I don't care about Dune. 2067. With Zippy Butterfield. <laughs> All right. This has been episode 42 of Cinebabble. I did not pass out and Clint did not have to There's give me still smelling time. salts. Mm-hmm. Feeling pretty good about that. So uh, thank you all for listening. As always, uh, again, you can find us on Instagram and cinebabblecast.com. Send in that feedback. Uh, we're going to have some some question answering uh, here in some future episodes and we'll get to our top 10 of the year and we'll just, we'll close out the year in style mm. and uh, reflect on a year that was supposed to end COVID and did not. No, it's continuing on. Yeah, there's a whole other variant coming. Thanks for that. <laughs> sure, I was reading about it this morning. <laughs> South Africa, man, it's about to kill us all. Um, so anyway, thanks as always for listening. Uh, we'll, we'll talk next time. Bye, Ken. Bye, Clint. Bye, Clint.